what we do here is go back, 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 back. And welcome in to episode 77 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Sabin. As always, I'm joined by my good friend Angelo and Lisa as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And uh, again, just the two of us this week. We are hopeful that uh, Jake will be back in two weeks. Still a lot of basketball stuff going on. Connor Long made the state Good Lord, Connor Long went over. Apparently, he had a double-double in the regional championship game. You know what? I've been shitting on that boy for years, but I got to give credit where credit is due. Going, Being like six foot five in an area like the East, Eastern Panhandle, man, it goes a long way. You are the tallest boy anyone there has ever seen, and you're like six five. I mean... He's, he's like Shaq over there. He probably you know? would have been the tallest guy on my high school's basketball team, not joking. And we, like, you know, you think, oh, New Jersey, there's a lot of people there. No, we did not have a lot of tall people at Hikestown High School, let me tell you. Uh, but, yeah, he went over, and if that's not a sign the hell is frozen over, I don't know what it does. Yeah, because, I mean, I've seen that boy play basketball in person multiple times. I'm also the kid. And he, he uh, has never struck me as, yes, he's tall, but he's not a particularly athletic or coordinated young man no but again give credit where credit is due he put up some numbers and the muscleman appleman are going to the state tournament so congratulations to them the appleman yes the appleman if you hear any kitchen related noise in the background by the way that's because my my lovely fiance is making hamantashen right now and uh i'm too cheap to buy a microphone so i'm probably gonna get all the fucking like ambient noise coming in but luckily, so. having an Apple laptop, Apple does do some things right. And for once, I will say that microphone on that Apple laptop, very good audio quality. But yes. I do have to address the elephant in the room. We just had some nice wrestling content shared to us, me and Jake, by our good pal David Statman. But I swear to God, if they introduce you as the head producer again, we're having a grudge match. I do not put my blood, sweat, and tears into editing these episodes. To not be recognized as the head producer. We have beef right now. This is your yes. warning. That's Listen, don't talk to me. You have heat with Eli Isom, not with me. You do not have heat with me. That was all him. He was talking shit. Uh, I made the mistake of uh, taking a video of a practice match that I had with Eli Isom like uh, a few days ago and sh- showing it to Angelo and Jake. And now Angelo's pissed off. So, you know, that's that's not my fault. Uh, and I guess on the chance that Eli is listening, you now have heat with Angelo. So that's that's not me. I did not say that. Look, I, at the very least, I can respect the man that sells the hell out of a DDT. Yes, he does the spike. He did the spike sell on the DDT. It looked fucking fantastic. Put me over, making me look good. But yes, uh, I, I but according to him, I am the head producer of two and a half marks. So that is now my official title. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, Swear gaff, it's on your LinkedIn. But we're back at it today. It is Thursday, March 10th, 2022, the day we're recording it. And it is the first time ever, I believe, we have done a pay-per-view 
that aired on a Tuesday. That's right. This Tuesday in Texas, December 3rd, 1991. Oh, my birthday. Yeah. Yes. You were, you were <laughs> negative four years old. Exactly, Molly. This, the day this occurred. And it is, I have to say, it was an absolute breeze. It's, an hour, it was, it's only an hour and a half. There's five matches. Not that much happened in any of the matches. It's the rare like, case of there's not a lot going on. It's not bad. It's just not a lot happened. There's there's five matches. I wouldn't even say any of the matches are really bad or anything. I think they're all like adequate to decent. They're all sort of on the same level, you know. They're all like adequate to solid mostly. Um, although I thought the the Undertaker Hogan match was kind of shitty, but oh, whatever. I agree. But we'll most. There's like there's five matches. There's like three promos. There's like one like extended angle segment after one of the matches, and then that's it. And then we all go home. It's fucking great. I have to because I'm you know I'm used to like having to carve out at least you know two and a half to three hours out of my week to you know watch this pay per view. Another at least half hour to do like kind of. You know, other research about like stuff that happened around it and things that happened and like reading the fucking Wrestling Observer from that week and all that other stuff. And like additional time just kind of thinking about what I'm going to say on the show. And that that's an hour of playing Horizon Forbidden West put back onto my schedule. And I have to say, I have to thank Vince McMahon from 1991 for this. For, for giving me that hour back of, of my schedule this week. Yeah, it was a breeze. It's a weeknight. They have to get in and get out. People have work the next day. You can't be having a show until 11 p.m. AEW, take some notes. Four-hour, five-hour pay-per-view on a Sunday. You're out of your mind. That's not going to last. What do you think you are, I, WWE in the mid-2000s? I will say I'm fine with the four. I've, I've said this before. I'm fine with the pay-per-view being long if you're doing, like, you know, as AEW does, they do four pay-per-views a year. I so every pay-per-view is a big-ass deal. And so, yeah, they load it up and it's long. I think that's fine. But, like, yeah, when, like, 2017, when WWE decided every pay-per-view has to be three and a half hours. And so, like, yeah, you're watching uh, Great Balls of Fire uh, until fucking 1145 at night. And you want to kill yourself. That is what I have a problem with. I'm waiting, I'm waiting fucking, you know, three and a half hours to watch what, like, uh, fucking uh, Seth Rollins light the fiend on fire? Get out of here. Or Dolph Ziggler versus Sheamus that goes 20 minutes when it could have gone 12. Yeah, yeah, I, we just, you know, avoid that completely. And just, we can just be normal and just have a normal time. And then we all just get home at a normal time. It's awesome. We're adults, uh, sir. We, 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 we know the importance of sleep. Yes. Having a sleep schedule. It's great. It's it's fucking great. Uh but yeah, this Tuesday in Texas, uh the only Tuesday in Texas uh at, in in the history of WWF, it was uh their first, not their last, but their first ever try to like make pay-per-views on a Tuesday a thing. They tried it here. I don't know. I guess Vince McMahon got the idea in his head that people would like, you know, this was still when he was doing like four, I think four pay-per-views a year. 
He might have had King of the Ring be a, a pay-per-view too at this time. So four to five pay-per-views a year. But he was thinking, what if we do like smaller, shorter pay-per-views, just like kind of interspersed, right? Like the idea that he would later revisit within your house where you would have a shorter pay-per-view every month that would cost less. His idea, you know, was that what if we could do those on Tuesday? And yeah, like no one fucking watched it, apparently. So he decided we're not going to do this again. And then he then revisited the idea like 13 years later with Taboo Tuesday, which also similarly, I feel like did not work. And they kayfabe the whole fucking concept of like voting on matches. And, you know, it sucks. But I, I still think it's the worst thing ever because I know uh, AEW did Battle of the Belts as a Saturday special one hour show uh, back in January and it did good numbers. I think if you do something like that, like the whole thing with WWE, they'll they'll never go back to not having monthly pay-per-views. But I, I feel like if AEW wants to learn from them, doing something along the lines of you, like you have your four major ones. And then you have a shorter, like, Battle of the Belts type event. Maybe you do that every month. Well, that's what they do. Yeah. I mean, they 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 are doing, like, the whatever Battle of the Belts, like, the, the special episodes, like, mm-hmm. on Saturdays, like, the set, whatever, like, a few of those a year. But they also do, like, like the big named episodes of Dynamite. Like, like they have, like, Winter is Coming every year. And you know that's going to be a big fucking show. You know, the St. Patrick like, Show the, next week. Yeah, they and they like they they'll just take a they'll take a random episode of Dynamite and then just give it a a name, and it's like oh well this 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 episode has a name, so that means like it's gonna have some big matches on it. So they kind of already do that, mm-hmm. you know, like they're gonna build to whatever like Hangman's next title defense is gonna be, and it's gonna be at like you know because what Double or Nothing's too far away, so they're gonna do it at one of those. You know what I mean? Yep. So like that's gonna be that that's how they do it. And it's great because, like, you know, not that I pay for pay-per-views anyway, but <laughs> I don't have to pay for it, right? You know? So, but in 1991, Vince McMahon had the thought that, yes, what if people bought pay-per-views on a Tuesday? And he was wrong. And, you know, sucks to suck. But it is notable for being the first ever pay-per-view in WWF, WWE history that The Undertaker headlined as the champion. So, that's cool, I guess. Uh, It's a a good way to put a guy over, let me tell you. Yeah, they really, they really, uh, you know, told a a regular story that put Undertaker over, didn't they? Um, But yeah, we're already talking about the freaking show. Let's talk about the show. let's, Let's remember some guys. Uh, it is, as I already mentioned, December 3rd, 1991. We are at the Freeman Coliseum in San Antonio, Texas. We have an official listed, att- so the, uh, official, like, listed attendance for the Freeman Coliseum, at the Freeman Coliseum here is 8,000, right? Uh, that's the official listed attendance. And, like, the maximum capacity of the, uh, arena that I, I, you know, I, I looked it up is a little less than 12,000, right? So it's like a mid-sized arena. You know, it's a decent size. It's AEW size. Sure. Gorilla Monsoon multiple times says there's 20,000 people there. <laughs> I noticed that 
he drops the 20,000 number for attendance multiple times. Hey, company like, man. He's like, 20,000 people here at the Cremant Coliseum losing their minds. It's like, you. that's literally more than double the amount of people that are actually there. Hey, are company, company man. Gorilla Monsoon, company man. You got, you got to appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, fucking insanity. But yeah, there is 8,000 people at the Freeman Coliseum on December 3rd, 1991 uh, for Vince McMahon's Grand Experiment. Can we make pay-per-views on Tuesday a thing? As we said, the answer was no. Uh, The Undertaker is in the main event tonight. He is defending the WWF title against Hulk Hogan after just a couple of weeks before he had controversially won the title from Hogan with a bunch of outside interference at Survivor Series. Uh, we start off with a Taker promo where Taker proclaims that tonight, Hulkamania will be buried. We have, uh, as I mentioned before, Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan on the call for this one. And we start off uh, the show. five. So there's five matches aired on the This Tuesday in Texas pay-per-view, but there were, it's it's the end of like a much longer show um, that included uh, multiple tag team championship matches, uh, um, like the dark matches. Uh, there's like nine other matches that did not make air, uh, including a Ric Flair versus Roddy Piper match and multiple uh, tag team title matches. Apparently, uh, the Road Warriors defended the titles against the Rockers and the Natural Disasters back-to-back, it looks like. And 10-plus-minute matches, too, back then. Yeah, and I'm sure they didn't sell a fucking thing. Um, and it's also, uh, intru- you know, funnily, funnily enough, the Rockers wrestled on the show the day after they filmed the Rockers' breakup with Shawn Michaels kicking Marty Jannetty through the plate. Or he didn't kick him through the plate glass window. He threw him through the plate glass window. Uh they they filmed it the day before, and then they went back to teaming like on house <laughs> shows until it aired. So it they filmed it, but it hadn't aired yet. So it's like this weird little thing where they had like filmed it, they had broken up already, but they're still wrestling together until it finally shows on TV. Um, where's that? that where's like, that in kayfabe? I thought kayfabe would just died. Kayfabe died in nineteen ninety one. I think it's pretty cool, but. We lead off with a match for the WWF Intercontinental Championship. It is the great Bret Hart defending against, I, I know for a fucking fact we've never had this guy on the podcast before. His name is Skinner. Uh, longtime territory guy Steve Kern, who by this point is like 40 years old, you know, and, and 40 years old in wrestler, like 40 years old in wrestler terms. Is not the same in 1991 as it is today. Like those motherfuckers at 40 years old, like like today, like you can look at someone like AJ Styles is like 45 years old. He's like still as good as ever. But like back then, the fucking living those guys went through. Like if you were 40 years old, you were basically dead. This is like point. Sting wrestling today. And a lot of times they were like literally w- would have died by that point. Uh, Steve Kern is like 40 years old. By this time, he's pretty much really washed up at this point. Um, but he's doing like a, so the Skinner gimmick is like a kind of a salty Everglades, like crocodile hunter guy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where they got the idea for this gimmick. I don't know if like, was, was the crocodile hunter 
like a thing at this point. I like think, I think this is early for the crocodile hunter. Like like I don't know where they would have gotten the idea for this. I think it's just like typical Bayou dude. No, yeah, this was five years before. No, I mean he's from the Everglades. I mean that is that is a point that he's from the Everglades. He literally has like a, a like an al- like a crocodile like claw that he would use as a weapon. Swamp people. It, 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 it's all a swamp. Yes, this is actually five years before the Crocodile Hunter first aired on TV. So I have no idea where the idea for this gimmick came from. Uh, I know Steve Kern wrestled in Florida for years. It might have been might have been that. I don't know. Might have been his idea. He, at any rate, uh, he's got the alligator claw as a like a gimmick weapon, and he has a fucking lip in the whole match, and it looks horrifying gross looks disgusting it's really really fucking bad um the match itself is really just uh you know when you really watch it you can see that it's like brett just carrying him the whole way i mean uh does like nothing (laughs) some of brett's best work to be honest we've had brett a few times yeah i mean you could you you can appreciate brett hart for this match we talk about brett being one of the fucking goats and like it is literally like this match is like is like an okay match and it is entirely off Brett like Brett does everything like (laughs) Skinner does absolutely nothing this whole match I think Skinner takes like one bump the whole match Um, and this is literally just Brett like doing everything Um, it's uh, you know Skinner eventually like you know we have we have Brett working over the left arm for a lot of the first half of the match and Skinner eventually uh, posts him, gets the heat for a while. Um, does the uh, ab stretch spot where he is uh, grabbing the ropes. Um, Skinner hits him with the alligator claw, but doesn't pin him. Continues to beat him up around the ring. Uh, one point, Skinner appears to hit a scorpion death drop for a two count. So I don't know if that would have been like an alligator death drop for him. <laughs> Crocodile death drop. Boo! Um, comes off the middle rope. Uh, Brett gets the boot up on him uh brett fires up and then hits uh his gets his comeback he hits a uh, russian leg sweep hits the second rope diving elbow and eventually locks in the sharpshooter skinner submits and brett hart retains the title 13 minutes and uh 46 seconds and what is the longest minute? like it you know it takes me like two minutes like two seconds to recap it because uh like very little happened, but it's the longest match that aired on the pay-per-view. So that's great. Yeah. I mean, I had very low expectations for this one when you see Bret Hart versus Skinner uh, on the card, but you know, it was, you know, it was, it was a fine match and yeah, a lot of it's on Bret, but like it, it flowed, it had moments uh, like it made sense in terms of like how it went along. Uh, but yeah, this was just a test with Bret Hart, how awesome he is and how great he can run a match. Uh, I will say this, the belt that uh, the IC title belt that Brett has on his way to the ring, one of the best looking belts in wrestling history, period. I love this IC title. Like, I, it makes me really miss like the old white one that we had in like the early 20 teens that I always think of the Miz as that holder. Like it just the IC title can be really iconic. I don't mind the one they have right now, but there's something about like how it popped back then with that gold plate. Yeah. A hundred percent. This was like, I mean, like, I would say like, this was like the last era of WWF history where the intercontinental title sort of like was still treated as actually mattering. Mm -hmm. 
So I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe through like the early mid nineties with like, with like Razor Ramon, maybe. And that's probably it. So like, yeah, this is, this is like, in my opinion, the, the best the Intercontinental belt ever looked. Although they had like the kind of the similar one with like the white strap, like up until recently. Yeah. When they kind of that, that one, that was looking pretty fucking nice. I have to say. Uh, and then they changed it again for no reason. It made it look way worse. Yeah, it's not the best looking belt. It looks really weird. That that and like the U.S. title too. They did the same thing for. Now the U.S. title is like this big slab of gold, which it's grown on me. But I love that old like USA flag title. Yeah, I I don't like the United States belt. Now I think yeah. it I it just I. I, I'm nostalgic for the for the old like yeah it's literally just like a flag on a belt like it was kind of a it was kind of like a dumb design honestly but like that that title I think had like the longest like uninterrupted like this is just the look of the belt you know it it looked like that for like twenty years I outside the one point where Cena I think made it a spinner belt like in the early twenty aughts yeah in two thousand like four. He made it the spinner belt, but then they brought it back after he lost the title. Oh. When they did the angle where uh, Carlito's bodyguard stabbed him in a nightclub. <laughs> God bless WWE. Actually happened. Uh, but yeah, a lot of these matches are just ones that's like you don't really have a whole lot to say about. No, it, it's no. like this. This is going to be a very quick episode. I think after this next match, we're probably going to fly through the next two. But yeah, I mean, it's. This is a match that, like, if you want to appreciate how good Brett is, uh, this is, like, right, like, kind of right before, like, as he was starting to blow up, but, like, before he really got, like, to the main event level, by 92, I think the next year, 92, is when he won the WWF title for the first time. But you could definitely see him, you know, the crowd has gotten behind him. He's sort of, you know, he, the Hart Foundation, he, he's, you know, he's not, a, you know, he had been in the Hart Foundation team for years in WWF. This is him sort of starting to kind of break through as a singles guy. And he's kind of fully self-actualized as being fucking cool. And, like, you see the crowd really start to get behind him. I mean, like, it's it's funny, like, he, in, in the beginning of the match, like, he goes over and does the thing where he puts his like sunglasses on a fan. Like he goes and gives it over yeah. to like a girl and she is screaming. Like this girl is screaming for Bret Hart. Like she's at a one direction concert. I'll like, say he is going to fucking like have a brain aneurysm level of screaming. I'll say like, this. And this is always evident when we get pay-per-views from like this time period, even though the wrestling itself is maybe not the greatest. Arguably fans have never been better. Uh, in, oh, yeah. in any other period. Like the, it is insane how loud they are. I'm not sure how much of that's being piped in by WWE, uh, in post effects, but like you could see their crowd reaction and how like livid they are for everything that happens. Like they well, I, are going 110 percent the entire time. The test for that shit is is always like when you hear a big crowd reaction, like look at the crowd. You know, like, can you actually see people cheering, right? Because, like, nowadays you'll see WWE pipe and cheers all the time. And it's, it's like, it's oh, getting you, rapidly you worse, too. Cheer, you hear this big cheer or, you know, this big reaction on the broadcast. And then you look, like, you look at the stands and everyone's just, like, sitting there silently. 
It's like, okay, that's obviously not real. But like when you hear a big cheer, like these older shows and you look into the crowd, it's like, yeah, all these people are legitimately standing on their feet and going insane. You know, they, these people are like all legitimately really losing their minds. Um, so it's, it's makes it fun to watch, you know, it, it does make it fun to watch. And it, you know, it heartens me to see young people going apeshit for Bret Hart because he's the fucking goat number one. And you know what? I want, I want, I'm glad that people appreciate technical wrestling, baby. That's, that's what they're there for. They're not there for the characters. They're They're not there for the Hulkamania. They're there to see a properly fucking executed wrestling match. That's what they're there to fucking see. So yeah, Bret Hart is the goat and he retains the intercontinental championship. So next up, we have uh, a match between Macho Man Randy Savage and Jake the Snake Roberts. Huge match. Huge match. Um, So this was Savage's, or one of his first matches after... So at WrestleMania 7, just a few months before, they had done this huge retirement angle for Savage. And people might remember that as like, you know, the 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 moment where, you know, he had turned heel and he was with Sensational Sherry. And then he like, you know, turns back like he he has his final match and he turns babyface again and reunites with uh, Miss Elizabeth. And like that's like his send off. And it's like it's it's genuinely like one of the great like emotional like babyface moments in the history of wrestling. Like you look in the crowd and people are fucking sobbing. Covered it like, on the pod. Yeah, we, we did cover it on the pod. It is legitimately one of the best executed, like, like babyface turns I think I've ever seen. And it's, like, perfect as, like, a send-off for Macho Man after being, like, you know, one of the best wrestlers of the 80s and having this incredible run, and he, now he's retiring, right? And, like, if Macho Man never wrestled again, it would have been perfect. But here he is, like, what, seven months later? And he's just back, you know? He's just back and he's doing his shit again. And he's this feud with Jake Roberts. It's like, okay, so none of that mattered. Like, none of the retirement shit. Like, it was fucking built up as the retirement match. That doesn't matter anymore. Because you, you never need to honor any stipulation ever in WWF. Um, he is wrestling Jake the Snake. Uh, Jake the Snake, uh, the, the stipulation for this match is that he his the snake Damien, which he has used to menace so many opponents, is banned from ringside, so he cannot have the snake in his corner. Um, they do this funny thing, so like, um, Jake Roberts's music hits as Savage is doing his pre-match promo, and he like leaves and like runs away when he hears the music, <laughs> and like runs up behind set like as Roberts is running the ring he sprints up behind him up the ramp and attacks him which I thought was really cool um and he starts beating his ass and he's in his full like entrance costume he's got this big green top hat with a huge feather in it and he's just like stomping this dude out while dressed like a dandy from like 18th century England (laughs) and it's so cool um eventually he uh takes all of his shit off but that's that gives Jake Roberts the opportunity to cut him off um, and attack his left arm, which in storyline had been bitten by the snake not too long before. So it was it was a compromised arm already. Um, eventually, 
it, you know, the, the, it's, it's a six minute match, but six or most of the match is, uh, Jake, the snake getting the heat. And then Savage doesn't even really get a comeback. Eventually he just kind of reverses him. He bumps him, and then he hits the diving elbow drop and then just wins the match. Like at, kind of out of nowhere in six minutes and 25 seconds. But afterwards we have this huge extended angle where, you know, to build up like a grudge match, uh, where it's, uh, you know, Savage, you know, wants to keep kicking his ass. Uh, he grabs a chair. Someone rips the chair away from him. He grabs the ring bell instead, but then Earl Hebner, the referee rips it away. That gives Jake the, uh, the chance to hit a DDT. He hits a second DDT. He, you know, Savage, and this is, you know, they sold the DDT like death back then. Uh, Savage is unconscious in the ring. Jake the Snake rolls out. He starts walking up the ramp. Then he stops and he smiles a devilish smile at the camera. And he turns around. And he really creepy. Back into the ring. Um, he comes out. He's about to, to beat Savage at, Savage's, Savage's ass again. Miss Elizabeth runs down. Miss Elizabeth was not in his corner. She runs down and like gets on top of Randy Savage, trying to like get in the way and is begging Jake the Snake to, to leave her alone. But eventually Jake picks Savage up. Savage still sailing like he's unconscious, hits him with another DDT. Macho Man Savage has officially died and left this earth. He takes out a sack from underneath the ring. It's like they're selling like you like there's a fucking uh, snake in there. Elizabeth is terrified of the snake. But he opens up the sack. It was all a ruse. There was nothing in the bag. It was all a bluff. And then he grabs Elizabeth and he legitimately, he punches Elizabeth. So he is doing violence against women to get heat, which you could do 30 years ago. Uh, every si- What do you mean? Greg Hardy does it today. We have said it before. You know, it's, it's obviously, you know, you could never do it today. But it's always funny, like when you go back and watch like the Attitude Era or before, like every time there's violence against women, it the fans go insane for it. Like it always gets over, which like doesn't say it doesn't say a lot of good things about the fans. But it like always got over huge Maybe and it gets ha- over huge here. Um, and then backstage, uh, he, uh, Mean Gene, you know, he goes up to Mean Gene. We get an, uh, an interview promo. Um, Gene calls him a quote bona fide sicko, which I think I'm going to start using that. Um, and then Robert says that throwing Elizabeth around was the the best feeling of his life. And the, the promo actually kind of gets sort of weirdly, uh, disturbingly horny from here. And he says, "Yeah, you know, uh, Macho Man, bring Elizabeth back so I can touch her again." Uh, uh, no, uh, <laughs> it's you know. He's he's playing his uh, his gimmick effectively. I got to give him credit for that. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, and, and the first two promos, too, like before the match were really good. Good. Like uh, Macho was very in character. Jake the Snake was very in character. You could tell that they're not reading off a script, which yes. is something that 100%. is. Well, you could never script the Macho Man promo. No, were you going to put in like he, he says, yeah, 400. Ooh, yeah. But he it's, it's not even like the ooh, yeah, it's like. Every single like when he's just talking normal, like yeah. every third word is yeah. It's, yeah, David Statman, I'm gonna yeah, we're gonna get into the ring nice and dirty, and we're gonna fight yeah, nice and dirty. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what kind of wrestling are you talking about, dude? Macho man, man. Uh, cream rise to the top. 
but yeah, no, but I love both those promos. Jake the Snake and Macho Man both were great promos back in the day. Always fantastic. I remember going down the rabbit hole looking at Macho Man promos because it's just he's just so out there and so crazy and unhinged, and every promo sells it. The match itself makes a lot of sense too. It's like it's a grudge match. It's supposed to be a lot of hatred. Yeah, it's fast. Yeah, uh, Jake gets beat pretty quickly, but you know the post match credits more or less really helps sell the feud, building up to the next chapter. Like this is not a blow off match. There's more to build here. And even though Jake lost, he stands tall at the end. That's good booking. That's some pretty good booking right there. And the promo at the end and the hitting of Miss Elizabeth does not play well today at all by any standard. So maybe we have come a little bit farther as a society than we'd like to admit. But this was fun. It's cool to see two legends go in the ring and like have a, you know, it's six man match. It's not going to be like a classic or anything, but it's cool to see these two guys in the ring together. Yeah. And, you know, it 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 is a hot fucking angle. You know what I mean? Like. And, and, and the one thing that I like about it a lot is like they let it breathe. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like they really give it time. They really, you know, let the moment kind of reach its natural conclusion and they don't rush it at all. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's that's what makes it really work. And yeah, you have uh, you have two guys who were, you know, I, I think in my opinion, the two real standouts of the of the entire previous decade for the WWF uh, in terms of like character work and in Savage's case, ring work as well. Um, and they're just fucking, you know, playing their character really well. You know, there was, I always loved Jake the Snake. Jake the Snake is my favorite wrestler of the entire decade of the 80s. There was always something just incredibly compelling about him at all times. And Savage is like one of the most unforgettable fucking people in the history of wrestling. And it's just, you know, Putting those two guys together is going to create something good. Yeah, it's it's and a feud that doesn't need a belt. It didn't, and I, and I don't think it was a feud that needed necessarily no. uh, needed uh, Jake the Snake Roberts getting a woman in it. No, but <laughs> I guess it did get heat. So go for it, buddy. I guess you know. I, I also love it too. Like this is one of those feuds where the babyface gets to use heel tactics because this is a this is a war. This is not sports entertainment this is a blood this is a full-fledged war so yeah randy savage being he's already a little bit unhinged but the heel tactics that he gets to use makes sense so like it makes sense that he's gonna try and brutalize jake roberts because of what jake roberts has done to miss elizabeth elizabeth makes a lot of sense we'll get to why when it doesn't work later yes i have always believed in the fact that baby faces should be allowed to do heel shit to heels because they're heels they are the bad guys, and you should be allowed to hit them with a chair if you want to. You're allowed to do that because they're the heel. Like I feel like you should be able to do whatever the fuck you want to do to a heel. Like, I think it depends. Fans should want to see a heel get hit in the nuts, you know? I, I think it depends. I think context matters. I, I It always matters, but I feel like as a general rule, you should, like, it's not a heel thing if it's being done to a heel. Because they're they're the bad ones. You should want to do bad things to them. We'll talk about Hogan later. <laughs> of course. So, yeah, we have this like crazy angle and then this really bizarrely horny promo from Jake Snake Roberts. Makes you uncomfortable. Uh, and now it's just time for the next match. Already in the ring, it's the Warlord. 
who is just a big fucking jacked guy. And that was literally who he was. He didn't really have anything else going on for him. He was just a massive fucking slab of meat. Uh, he is taking on the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, two and a half marks podcast favorite, who around this time in like 90, 91, has really gotten on the fucking gear. And uh, gotten, you know, he has gassed himself up. He thick. And he also uh, debuted recently before this, the iconic uh, beaded braids look, which the only white man in history to do that look successfully. So congratulations to Davy Boy Smith. Um, and uh, yeah, these are two men who are completely, absolutely not on steroids. Um, this match is, so uh, by all accounts, uh, you know, like Davy Boy does a lot more for Warlord in this match than I feel like he did for a lot of guys around this time. Um, apparently him and Warlord were like, you know, in real life, like good buddies. So like, I don't know, Davy Boy wanted to make him look good, but he, he, you know, bumps around for him a bit. They, uh, they do some, uh, you know, these are two fucking massive guys. So they, they do some classic like bump and meat spots. Uh, and then Bull, uh, Bulldog clotheslines him out of the ring. He goes for a plancha to the outside, but then Warlord catches him, rams him into the post. Bulldog fires back, hits a missile drop kick, uh, and then tries to go for a running drop kick as the Warlord is tied up in the ropes, but he misses. He crotches himself. Warlord then gets the heat for a while, uh, including, I think, the longest full Nelson I have ever Holy seen. Holy shit. This motherfucker has Bulldog at a full Nelson for like three full minutes. It's it's wild. Um, and then Davy Boy fights out, diving clothesline off the second rope, uh, hits uh, gets him up for a big stalling suplex. Stalling suplex on a big guy always gets over uh, for a near fall. Uh, gets him up for a power slam, but Warlord like lands on him for a, a pinning attempt for a, uh, a what was sold as like a big near fall. Uh, and then they get up, uh, and Davy Boy comes off the ropes, goes up, and gets him in like a jumping crucifix uh, to get the pin and win the match in 12 minutes and 45 seconds. It was, uh, honestly, I have to say, I've seen a few Warlord matches in my time. One of the best Warlord matches I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, was, lot, it wasn't bad. Um, it was slow. It was a very slow-paced It match. was slow, yeah. Uh, that full Nelson spot, man. Like I, I will give points for using the hair to as like leverage in a full Nelson. I think that's clever, but and makes a lot of sense. But holy shit, did it have to go three and a half minutes? It took forever. We want to talk about rest holds. That was the rest hold end all rest holds. Uh, again, this is two big dudes slapping meat. There's always something to be be there for it. The stalling suplex by Davy Boy, man. Like that's just you put that in any era, people are gonna pop for it. I will say this, though, for, like, you know, Davy Boy being, like, as big and gas as he is, it's surprising how nimble he is as, to, as well. But I kind of feel like this is a match, especially facing the Warlord, that maybe if they're not good friends, I, Bulldog should have won by, you know, Power Slam. Like, really still the fact that Bulldog is on another level. Him getting the win via Crucifix, I'm not really into the ring tactician of British Bulldog. I want to see him be a big dude and lift things. Well, you would have you would have hated like all of his fucking like actual good years as a wrestler then, <laughs> well, because he was like a really like that was his thing was like he mixed like being like you know I, he wasn't as big as he was at this point but like being a big powerful guy 
with being a great ring technician. You know, that, that was what like really kind of was his whole thing. Like he was, a, he was an excellent ring technician who could do power spots. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but like, it's the fucking warlord. This isn't like, this is not Randy Savage. This is not Jake Roberts. It's not Ric Flair. It's not the undertaker. Heck, it's not even Ted DiBiase. It's but the warlord. If you think about it this way, it's like you're putting over you're putting over the warlord because you know, like he is a big, massive dude. It's like you can you can physically look at the two of them and say that warlord's obviously the bigger and probably stronger guy. So the bulldog is able to find another way to win, and that's and that's also like showing you, hey, bulldog is is a you know he doesn't need to rely on being a massive fucking slab of beef. He can also rely on the fact that the motherfucker can wrestle. If it I think was, it like it, it puts over both of them in that sense, in my opinion. I, I don't disagree with that, but the thing, like, I well, you're disagreeing with it, motherfucker. No, I, I in theory, I don't disagree with it. Let me put it that way, then. But the pro, like, the warlord for me is a jobber, and I don't think of him as a guy that needs to be protected in any way. He's a guy that I pay to see get squashed by a guy that's actually legitimate. Uh and this is not this, necessarily really a jobber. I mean, like, he was in the powers of pain, man. I mean, they were actually, like, a pretty, like... Yeah, but tag teams don't matter in WWF. Well, this was also 30 years ago. So, that's it's just me. Like, I, if it was a guy that had a little bit more renown, I would be, I'd be more inclined to be accepting of a roll-up here. But it's the Warlord. I want to see you pick him up and slam him the ro- A crucifix is not a roll-up. Crucifix. It's a pinning combination. It's a pinning combination. Angelo, I don't want to see. I don't want to see Bulldog beat Warlord with a pinning combination. I want to see Bulldog slam Warlord through the mat. I, I, as I, I personally love a good pinning combination. I've, I've said this many times on the podcast. Is I like a good roll up finish, pinning combination finish when it makes sense. And I thought it this made sense and put over both guys when you think about it from like, like why the British Bulldog would be winning this match with the Crucifix. I think it makes a lot of sense, and it puts both guys over. Nah, put them through the mat. I think it's good. I think it, 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 at any point, like, even if yes, you know, you're going to say, oh, it's the fucking Warlord. Who cares? Then why even employ the Warlord? You know? Like, why even employ the man? You need, like, guy, you need guys to make point, other ones look good. At any, at any, not a dude who's like six foot fucking seven, like three hundred pounds of muscle. Like, find some fucking jabroni from. I'll, what, I'll do it for what, free. What, what, you. what does Caesar like, Bononi do? Caesar, I'll I love. Do, I'll, C- fucking, I lo- I'll do it for free. I like, love Caesar Bononi. He's this big giant dude who just gets squashed by everybody and just kind of like puts other guys over. Like, I have a lot of respect for saying. that guy. If at if at any point you can think of a finish that like, hey, it makes sense. And it makes both guys look good. You should do that a hundred percent of the fucking time, every time. There's no reason to not do that. I'm not gonna think less of the warlord for losing to bulldog. Yeah, sure. But if you can also think of a reason, like a way for him to lose, where like, yes, he loses cleanly, but also doesn't look like a fucking moron. Then why wouldn't you do that? He didn't look like a moron the way the match went. He looked like a legitimate dude. You know what I mean, though. Like, actually makes him look like a threat, and like. You know, like, again, makes, I, I think, makes sense. Like, makes both guys look good. That should always be the goal, yes. I won't argue with that one. I always thought the war, I always knew the fucking warlord was going to get between us, man. I always fucking knew <laughs> the fucking warlord. Well, look, we need something to argue about on this card. 
I just love the warlord because it's like he's so completely like 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 the perfect avatar of that era of mm-hmm. like back when like 90% of wrestlers were like oh yeah uh, somebody met him at the gym and was like man you're fucking big you want to be a wrestler <laughs> like they don't give a shit about wrestling at all or like it, like previously never like watched wrestling or whatever and they're just like uh, yeah, okay, I guess I'll do that, you know? It's funny how Sting was one of those guys, and you watch Sting, and he's never, like, he's not this super jacked guy. He's just, like, you know, he's muscular, but he's not, like, he's not Warlord. Yeah, he's not the fucking Warlord. Um, 100%. Uh, yeah, but the uh, Warlord gets pinned. British Bulldog wins the match. Uh, so next up, we have two matches left. Uh, we have a first. We get a Macho Man Savage promo, uh, very intense, uh, like you know, very wrought with emotion. The Macho uh, Madness is back. He says that this was the worst day of his life. He hits himself multiple times, slaps himself, saying it was his fault that this happened to Elizabeth. And he says that he's gonna get Jake the Snake Roberts. So next up, we have a tag match. It is. Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, and the Repo Man, uh, along with Sensational Sherry. Yes, the Repo Man, uh, one of the funniest gimmicks of all time. <laughs> it's like so funny that like, yeah. So he was the Repo Man was Barry Darso, who was Smash from the tag team Demolition, who like like just like a year before were like finishing up the longest tag team championship run in the history of WWE, a record that would last like over 25 years until like the new day finally broke it like a few years ago. And then like after being one half of like by, by some, you know, metrics, like the most successful tag team in the history of the promotion, like they're like, okay, you want to be the repo man now? You want to scuttle about like fucking Zoidberg? (laughs) (laughs) That's the exact comparison, too. Yeah, like (laughs) wearing the fucking eye mask and like the the sack over your shoulder, scuttling around. Like that's your gimmick now. The repo creep, man. That's so good. (laughs) It's so fucking funny. Um, So yeah, it's said to be asking the repo man. They are taking on Virgil and El Matador, Tito Santana. Um. So this was right or not too long after uh, the angle where Virgil had after years of being Ted DiBiase's uh, bitch uh, finally, you know, stood up for himself and, and turned on Ted DiBiase and turned babyface, was feuding with them. And, you know, when you go back and watch like that, that era, like right after that turn, Virgil was actually very over. The crowd was very into that turn. And I've always thought like it could have really fucking worked. And Virgil could have ended up like being a star if he was anyone other than fucking Virgil. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. like, a guy who just like really could not fucking like do that much. Uh, like it was right there for him. It was like right there for him. The crowd is very into seeing him and DiBiase face off. And they are very into all the stuff that Virgil does. Uh, but, you know, the, the match itself is, it's it's a lot of, like, uh, uh, Tito carries a lot of it. Tito, a very, very effective baby face, was always very, 
I, one of the most underrated guys this time. This might be the best Tito we've had on the podcast. We've had him a few times. I think we had him for both the early WrestleManias where I wasn't really wowed by him. And then we also got him in a late WCW one where he was completely washed. But yeah. This, this, this Tito was really fun to watch. Like this was a really good Tito match. Yeah. When you, when you really get to see Tito, like a younger Tito, you see like just how good of a baby face he was and just a very good worker. Um, and Tito carries a lot of this match. Uh, they get the heat on Tito for a long time. Um, eventually, we get the uh, the we we do get the Virgil DiBiase showdown, uh, but DiBiase ends up uh, taking the uh, the upper hand. He gets the hot tag to Tito. Tito hits a couple big drop kicks and a flying forearm, but then uh, DiBiase trips him on the outside. Um, as a, like an illegal double team, Repo Man is distracting the referee, and uh, DiBiase slams him into the steps. They do a bunch of stuff. I mean, they do the spot where Tito is able to get the tag, but the ref can't see it, and they double team on him. While Virgil's arguing with the referee. Eventually, he gets the tag. Um, crowd again, very into Virgil. Um, he hands out a bunch of clotheslines, hits a Russian leg sweep uh, for a near fall. Eventually, it turns into like a wild brawl. All four men into the ring. Sensational Sherry gets up. The finish is kind of weird. Like, Sensational Sherry gets up on the apron, takes her shoe off, tries to hit uh, Virgil with the shoe, misses and hits DiBiase. DiBiase goes down. But then Repo Man comes up behind Virgil and, like, hits him from behind um, as, like, Virgil, like, tries to, like, grab onto Sherry and, like, you know, threatening more violence against women, of course, to the uh, the adulation of the fans because they want to see Sherry get beaten up. Um and then, like, Repo Man, like, takes him out from behind. And then DiBiase kind of, like, rolls onto him for the pin. And Ted DiBiase and Repo Man win the match in 11 minutes and 28 seconds. Yeah, that didn't sit right with me the way that won. So DiBiase gets hit by the heel. Um, you know, foreign object. Foreign objects have a higher power level. Where it's, like, Virgilus gets hit in the back by Repo Man's knee. And that's when, like, that's the pinfall. Like, at that point, just let Sherry hit Virgil with the heel. If that's how the match is going to end, because that like it makes Virgil look like a real chump. Uh, it does, which you know might have had a role in the fact that he never got more over than what he was. But you know, things happen. Uh, but this was you know good tag match. This is clearly the piss break match ahead of the main event. Um, Tito Santana really does make this match a lot better than it has any right to be. It got a lot of like Kofi Kingston vibes from him, just like that kind of energy, the manic energy from him. A little bit more of a high flyer than his era, uh, but kind of fun. And of course, you have to shout out the Repo Man. Like it is so such a stupid gimmick, but like the guy sells it darn well. Like it's so funny to watch. Like he kind of steals the show just doing the Repo creep everywhere, just kind of like skulking around all around the ring or in the ring. Just super entertaining there. But yeah, like the finish of this match was just, you know, put a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. It really does. It's it's like, damn, like, it's really weird how it works because it's like Ted DiBiase gets hit with the foreign object and then, like, gets the pin two seconds later. Like, I feel like there should have been more that happened in between that. Yes. And it's like, yeah, like, he gets hit with a foreign object and is able to get the pin. Uh, like, is able to recover enough to, like, pin a guy. Whereas, like, yeah, like, Repo Man comes up behind, Virgil gives him, like, one kind of cheap shot, and then Virgil's dead. It wasn't even a low blow, either. It was, like, a knee to the back. 
Yeah, it was a knee to the back. I don't even think he hit him in the head. Like, but he, you know, he just, they're like, all right, well, this match is over. We got to go home. Like, okay. It just was weird. It just, it just like, especially because the match leading up to it is really not bad, you know? Service. Uh, Virgil's over. Tito does a good job. DiBiase at this time was about as good of a worker as the WWF had. Like, it's honestly a pretty solid match. And then you just get this weird finish, and you're like, okay, well. Why'd I watch this? Yeah, what was the whole point of this, you know? Remember uh, making uh, both people look good, David? This is not a case of making both people look good. It's not. It, you know, Virgil as the baby face looks weak, like juxtaposed with like, yeah, DiBiase getting hit with the foreign object and then getting the pit. Like it makes Virgil, who is the baby face here. And again, the crowd was into him. They wanted to see him face off with Ted DiBiase and wanted to see him beat Ted DiBiase's ass. And he looks kind of like a chump. So not great. Not, not a great finish to this match that otherwise was pretty solid. But we come to our main events. Goodbye, watchable wrestling. It was yeah, nice this knowing is, you. This is the worst match of the show, in my opinion. And I think you agree. Um, we First off, we get this Hulk Hogan promo. <laughs> Very corny. Well, you know, he cuts his, he cuts his Hulk Hogan promo, right? Um, it's, the, it's your typical Hulk Hogan promo. He, you know, promises to all the little Hulksters out there that the WWF title will be right back where it should, right back where it belongs, right back where it should be, around the waist of the Hulkster. But then he, you just hear him do the, like, like you know, right here in Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I have never heard Hulk Hogan make a sound like that my entire life. It was disturbing to hear him do that. I, I, it really fucking, yeah, it really fucked with me. Bad. Hogan could have said a hustle, loyalty, respect at the end of his promo. And I'm like, I would have thought that would have been very much on brand. Hogan going, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, what, 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 are, what, what is that? What are you doing right now, man? Please, like, just just fucking go away, man. Um, the champion, The Undertaker, comes out first, which, again, personal pet peeve of mine, champion should always come out second. Something that AEW does right, and I appreciate them for that. But um, I would say the same. With the original theme that it was just all the organ, you know, the droning organ, um, this is like the 1.0 version of the undertaker again where i mean this is like within the first year of his time in wwf he had debuted at survivor series the year before 1990 survivor series so he's been in wwf a year undertaker is still in like his mid-20s i want to say he's maybe like 26 years old something like that and this is like the 1.0 version of this gimmick where he no sells everything and i mean like first part of this match Hogan is slamming him around the ring and, and Taker just gets up from everything. Nothing hurts him. Eventually, Taker ends up uh, getting the advantage and, and uh, gets the heat on Hogan. Um, we have President Jack Tunney at ringside watching on. He'll come into play later. Um, he puts... So he this, is, this was like a thing that really personally bothered me about this match. So like... Taker has Hogan in like a chokehold for like five full minutes in this match. And it's like, A, the chokehold is illegal. You're not allowed to do that. B, he's like doing it in the corner, which is also illegal. And 
Like, so the referee is standing there watching this. You know, this is a legal thing that's happening right in front of him. And he's like, tell Taker, hey, stop doing that. And you see him start to count. Like, he will start counting, like, the one, two, three, four. And then, like, Taker just is not paying attention to him. So he just, like, like, he gets to five. Like, if he counts five, it's a disqualification. And he's like, one, two, three, four. Ah, I don't know what to do. And then he just stops. And then he, like, does it again. He does it, like, four times. And it's like, okay, what is the point of having rules then? What is the point of any of this? Like, we're just going to not give a shit. Nope. It was weird to me. Like, I like there is there is a school of thought that would say that, like, no matter what, like, the referee should just disqualify him there. You know? Like, and then just end the match. Like, I mean, obviously, like, you can't do that. Uh like four minutes into your pay-per-view main event for the title. <laughs> but it's like, well, he's cheating. Like he is cheating, like right in front of the referee. And like you make the referee look like a moron and you make your entire promotion look like a fucking clown show. Like, so that's like the alternative here is that you make yourself look like a clown show and you make the referee look like a clown show. Uh, but yeah, they just, he just kind of does this the whole time. He ch- like a, a, a significant part of this match is Undertaker choking Hogan, and just the referee like just kind of you know not enforcing like I don't know what the fuck it's the fucking paper you made of that what am I what am I supposed to do? Um, he also puts him in the Von Eric Iron Claw for a while, which was cool. Um, like every single time, like this match is a very it's a very like static wrestling match. It's like a lot of like like oh. no like people not moving a lot and, like, of nothing the few times the few times that they have to move at the same time it's like they're so completely out of sync it's like really fucking bad what was the one spot? did you see the one spot where like take your slips off the and then just falls down yeah <laughs> that's so funny oh man like, holy shit man it's like these guys were just not on that night it just was not working not um at all. take your uh take your hit old school earlier in the match um and then he goes for it a second time, but then Hogan kind of arm drags him off the ropes. And here's where we start to get to the real shit. Uh, Rick Flair, who is in WWF at this time, uh, he shows up as Hogan clotheslines Taker to the floor. Flair is arguing with Jack Tunney, the kayfabe WWF president at ringside. Hogan comes up behind Flair with a chair and he hits Flair with the chair. Complete cheap shot by the Hulkster, but Flair was a heel, so you can do heel shit to heels. It's fine. Um, he hits Flair with the chair from ringside or from behind, and Flair falls forward and knocks Tunney over at the same time. And so Tunney's out. Flair comes back with a chair, tries to get into the ring, uh, but Hogan whips Taker into the chair as like it. It looked ridiculous because like. The referee is like standing there looking at this, <laughs> yep. and then all of a sudden, like just inexplicably, turns around. Right? Is uh, it's just, it's really the referee. <laughs> little head fake. The referee was having a fucking moment during this main event. Uh, just turns around for no reason, so he doesn't see the taker get whipped into the chair. Um, it's like complete chaos. Bear Paul Bear accidentally hits Undertaker with the urn. The Undertaker gets the urn and then throws the ashes into Taker's face and then schoolboys him for the pin. 
And Hulk Hogan wins the title in 13 minutes and nine seconds of a match that was actually kind of a complete car wreck from start to finish. Utterly awful. He then takes the title belt. He hits Taker with the title, sends him packing. And uh, yeah, if if this all seems like completely insane, uh, Jack Tunney agreed with you. Uh, He announced the next night that because of all the bullshit that has ensued with Taker winning the title of Survivor Series and Hogan winning it back with all this outside interference and all these, you know, dumb shit that the title is being held up and it will be put up for grabs at the Royal Rumble in the, in the Rumble match. First time the Royal Rumble has ever been for the title eventually led to Ric Flair winning the championship, then trying to do a Flair Hogan program it not drawing remotely as well as people thought and ultimately leads to WWF champion Brett the Hitman Hart. Huh. So, it all worked out in the end. Interesting. Uh, yeah, but this match didn't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, where to start with this one? Because there's like a million things to address here. Let's start with this one. Uh, I will stand by the fact that Paul Bearer sounds like Carl Weezer. you know i've I've always wondered i'm sure you can find like because he had a he had a whole career like pre doing the paul bear again he was a manager in world class like i'm sure you can find shit um i i've but i've never heard paul bear speak Mm -hmm. with like not doing that voice like that gimmick voice so like i wonder what he actually sounded like I like to think that he sounds the exact same way, personally. I know that's probably not true, but that voice is just, like, I, watching the opening promo, because they open with a promo with him and Taker. Yeah. Uh, it's he does just, that, like, high-pitched warble of his voice. Oh! Yonder Taker! <laughs> it's just literally five seconds of him, like, half laughing, and this entire yeah. promo set's just very kind of cringy and corny. If it was shot today, but there is something about Undertaker that makes it feel like just a little bit menacing because the whole presentation would be really corny and the entire gimmick is kind of corny, but there's just something about Taker that makes it feel that much more menacing than it has any right to be. Ah, but man, that we'll start there and then we'll go to Hogan. Let's address the Hogan in the room. When we were talking about Macho Man and him using heel tactics on uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, it makes a lot of sense. He. This is a blood feud. He's pissed at what Jake's been doing. Jake's been using a lot of underhand tactics, and Macho just wants to beat the shit out of him. When Hogan's using these same tactics, the eye rake, the chokes, the hitting a guy with a belt, uh, using the ashes to blind him, it, it feels less of a fi- face, like, really wanting to destroy a heel, and more so out of a guy desperate to be relevant and refuses to give up his spot, which, knowing Hogan so far... Uh, hmm. I think you might be onto something there, Angelo. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's, it's, there definitely has always been the school of thought that Hogan was always a secret heel. But you think about, I think it was the 92 Royal Rumble when he gets eliminated completely fairly by Sid Vicious. And then, uh, because he's a fucking piss baby, like comes in from out of the ring and like pulls him out to eliminate him. Yep. People, people like always point to that as like, that was Hogan. Like he, Hogan was always a secret heel and that was him being a fucking bitch coming out. 
Mm-hmm. And like Bobby the Brain Heenan said for years that Hogan was was actually a, a bad guy. And then when the NWO started, he was proven right. So I choose to believe that he was always a secret heel. There is something to be said about having like a childhood hero. And if you're lo- a guy that really did love Hogan, whether growing up or when you're getting into wrestling fandom, defending the actions of a guy like that, it makes sense. However, for me as a guy that's never really been a Hogan guy, didn't really watch any Hogan matches until I was older. It just reeks of desperation. It's why I like the NWO stuff because NWO stuff feels a lot more in character for him than being the conquering babyface. Uh, we have another case of foreign object is weaker than it appears with Flair getting hit with the chair falling onto Tunny. Like, I get that officials are supposed to be kind of jabrones, but when you're getting hit by a chair, that's usually a pretty big spot. Flair had hopped up by this point and Tunny was still on the ground. Kind of leads to some weird uh, timing things, at least in my eyes. Yeah, he got up real quick from that chair shot. Yeah, it was like it completely no sell. Was he the Undertaker? Yeah. So yeah, the match was a mess, uh, utterly awful. And you were looking at the timeline before. How many days do you think Undertaker held the belt? He held it for like two weeks ish. Six days. Six days was it? Like oh man, it was this, six days. This is regarded as one of the worst world title runs. Period. Like when uh. ba- back last year. When McIntyre dropped the belt to the Miz following the cash in, the Miz's the Miz's run was being comped to this because Undertaker held it for six days. Miz held it for like two. At least, at least when Lex Luger had the six day title run in WCW, his like title win was one of the coolest title wins ever. Yeah. I think I mentioned that one all the time. You do. It was, so it was dude, go watch that shit on you. It's like the hypest fucking thing ever. I defy you to not be fucking hyped. <laughs> When Lex, when fucking Lex makes Hogan submit, he fucking racks him. Come on. Tell me that you're not hype when he does that. Well, this is the exact opposite of that. This was a mess. This was 13 minutes of slop and frankly could not have been finished fast enough. The only saving grace is that Taker is cool and Paul Bearer is comical. I I don't even like this era of the like short, like the um it's a nostalgia factor for me it's cool to see this version of him it's cool to see the like the 1.0 taker right to see where the gimmick started um and like even even in this like proto stage like there's definitely this like interesting presence you know what i mean and i i think it feels like the the crowd is kind of captivated by it but like I think it took like maybe at least ten years for the in WWF for the Undertaker to have like a good match. No, I, I think that's completely reasonable. And it's it's amazing how like like how far he came, considering like he honestly like I, I basically like you don't see a good Taker match for like a decade, and then like when he like. Is like past his like quote unquote athletic prime is like when he suddenly starts having all these fucking amazing classic matches that you remember for the rest of your life. You well, know, Hardy, t- Matt Hardy talks about this, too, is that like you could have the best matches in the world. You could be the best in ring guy in the world. It, it, it only lasts so long if you don't have a character to go with. it. Oh, let, of course. Let, and I think like what I appreciate right now with the current WWE product and what they're trying to do and what AEW does. AEW is great in-ring stuff, 
they do also have good characters, but it's always mostly been about these in-ring storytellings. WWE now has this identity of it is all about, you know, at least in 2.0, the character. The character comes first. Who care, who really cares about what's in the ring so long as it looks good? It's not going to be any five-star classics. I don't think they'll ever have a five-star classic match uh, in the near future. But it's more so we're using these characters to make stories. Whereas, like, with rest, with AEW, it's like we're using the history of these matches to tell stories. Yeah. Both are effective. They're both different, and they both have a place. And WWE is always better off trying to just do the character stuff. And, you know, it's why they're a little bit more pop culture, because it's more reality TV as opposed to gritty storytelling. And Taker kind of was able to make that relevant. And the fact that he had a good character for so long, made it stomachable it's why he was still there it's why he still made money is because he had a great character and played it perfectly the fact that we got these amazing matches after the fact is just kind of like a bonus on that career makes him that much more legendary i agree no i i i completely agree i mean that is that is the one thing like yes it took it took a long time for taker to start having like great matches but goddamn i mean like he had one of the greatest gimmicks in the history of wrestling I mean, like full stop, if not the single greatest gimmick in the history of wrestling. No, pre- there is not another presence like the Undertaker. You could like all presence team. Takers first. Yeah. So. I mean, what can you freaking say? What can you freaking say? Rest in peace. Rest in peace. He's going into the WWE Hall of Fame this year. I do not give a single shit. About the WWE, I, I could not care less about it. I, I honestly could not. I mean, how is Vader just going in? Yeah, fuck. I mean, like, I don't know. They have Vader. I mean, Vader's going in this year. Psycho Sid's supposed to be going in this year. Yeah, I did see the thing about Psycho Sid. Uh, you know, hey, whatever. Hey, that's a class. Fuck. I mean, those are those are those are three big guys. Right a couple heavy hitters right there. Sid main evented Mania was a champion. Vader's like one of the best big men who ever lived. And then obviously like Taker is Taker, you know, I do not give again. I don't give a single shit about WWE Hall of Fame because it is completely fucking like it is whoever fucking Vince feels like putting in. Mm -hmm. Uh, But. You know. uh, I, I will be I will be glad as a huge Vader head, as a massive Vader head, as we all know, uh, to see people like saying nice things about Vader. That'll be fine. That'll be nice, you know. Kind of sucks that Sting won't be there for that. Yeah. Does suck. Well, yeah. You know what? I, uh, I, I'm, I'm good with what he's doing instead. You know <laughs> what I mean? I think, I think he's, uh, I think he's, I think he's doing fine. Jumping so. off balconies through two tables. Still managing to be like the best part of every show that he's in when he's 63 years old. It's like, okay. fucking okay like literally all the insane shit that happened to that show and the thing that people were talking about the most was like the thing that sting did (laughs) it's like this motherfucker's 63 years old and he's still the person that people are talking about he's the fucking goat ladies and gentlemen he's the greatest of all time so that will uh send us to our two and a half marks angela Hopefully we we'll, hopefully we only have two more weeks of being a misnomer podcast because there's two of us and we're missing our normal three for two and a half because two plus one equals two and a half. That's just how math works. Sure. Uh, half mark is going to go to faces using heel tactics. I mentioned this quite frequently. 
uh, as was going to happen on a shorter podcast. But I do love it. It sells a desperation. Moxley kind of does a great job of that now. Even Daniel Bryan, uh, Brian Danielson currently, even though he's working heel, he's still pretty much a face. Fans still love him. Like whenever you get to that point of your career oh, yeah. as that type of face, it really feels like you have the world in your hands because there's nothing that you can't do. You're not this white meat guy who's trying to be above bar all the time. Like Orange Cassidy is a, probably like the best white meat baby face in terms of like never, ever going to cheat period in any kind of match. Uh, there, that's one type of face, but like it's always going to have a limit. Whereas with the face that can do heel stuff, but still get cheered, you can do the world. World is your oyster. It's free. It's free to rain. And that's what you kind of saw with Randy Savage. Guy was incredible. He sold this desperation and it made sense. Brings me to the next point. Negative one mark to face Hogan doing heel tactics because it's again, it just reeks of desperation. I don't get how you can watch it and not see that as a man desperately trying to cling on to the top of the mountain. And yeah, there's something about working for it. But when you see how Hogan presents himself, it does not feel face. And like you said, it's kind of like a secret heel kind of thing. And it really does. It really feels all kind of heel. There's nothing that Hogan does throughout this match to Taker. Like, I like Taker's just a guy who's kind of undead and doesn't really sell anything. He's not a traditional heel. He wants to make Hogan rest in peace. But that doesn't make him, like, a heel that you're going to pull out every trick in the book for. Uh, it just, again, reeks of desperation. Can't believe he got cheered. Uh, no, Hogan. Bad. And then my two marks, despite this being on Tuesday, there is just something charming about the short wrestling specials at unorthodox times. Like, say what you will about the Saudi shows. There's something entertaining about watching a wrestling pay-per-view at noon on a Thursday. It's just, I, And then Saturday, like, I remember growing up with Saturday morning wrestling. Are they pay-per-views? No, but it's just like these weird times to find wrestling on TV. You're not pulling it up on YouTube. It's not like this uh, big thing. Like it's going to be airing at this specific time. There's just something charming about that for me. Uh, Rampage, if it was on, so like kind of hits that same note. I don't know. I just enjoy the fact that, like these short wrestling specials at weird times. It's always kind of it's like surprise wrestling, and it it kind of always will get me to pop. Okay, as illogical as it is, I disagree completely because my uh, negative half mark is. A pay-per-view on a Tuesday? Who the fuck? Right? Like, come on. Seriously? Like, it was an idea that Vince McMahon had, but I feel like it takes, like, if you think about it for, like, two seconds, you're like, a pay-per-view on a Tuesday? Why? Fucking why? Get out of here. No way. Get I will, out of here. Get out of here. That I will defend the Thursday one. It's like the Thursday one, especially closer like Thursday, Friday, because it feels like March Madness, which is right around the corner. Like it's during work hours and you're just starring it on anyway. I don't know. But Tuesday night, definitely. Uh, Tuesday? Miss. The fuck? fuck? Come on. Uh, I'm going to give a negative one mark to uh, doing a three minute long full Nelson rest hole. Like, spot <laughs> in a minute. You can't think of anything else to do. Seriously, a full Nelson for three minutes? Man, we that makes it the weakest full Nelson in history. Like, yeah, because the full Nelson's a move that's pretty protected. Yeah, like way to well, Bobby Lashley's putting people out with the full Nelson. Chris Masters is putting people out with the master lock. Tell me the warlord with his fucking massive, massive biceps. 
can't put a dude out by having a full Nelson on for three full minutes? Come on. Ridiculous. And I'm going to give a full uh, two marks to letting a, a, an angle breathe. I'm talking about the uh, the, the Macho Man, uh, Jake the Snake Roberts uh, segment. I thought the thing that made that really effective was that they let it breathe. And they let it play out. They didn't rush it. They didn't do anything stupid. They just let the moment happen. They let the characters in the moment be themselves and react the way that they, in in a natural manner. And it made it honestly really gripping to watch and, you know, very interesting and very effective. Uh, This was something that at the time, I think WWF especially was very, very good at. Um, You go back and like watching, uh, watch like the, uh, the original, like the mega powers explode angle when Macho Man turns heel on Hogan. It's one of the best, like, backstage segments of all time, if not the best. Still holds up well to this day because they just let the moment breathe and they let those guys just kind of be themselves and let them react the way they would react. And they don't rush it. They don't do anything stupid. They just let it happen. And that's why it's so good. And that's why this is so good. And, you know, this is something that, you know, we, we, we say so much good shit about AEW all the time. It's something that AEW doesn't always do well. I feel like AEW, you know, they cram so much shit into a two-hour show, which is like, hey, more great stuff, more great matches and great stuff for us to watch. That's You know, it's, sometimes it's, it's a good thing. But sometimes things lose their effect because it's like it feels like they're, okay, we got to get to the next thing. You know what I mean? We gotta keep sometimes the show things can breathe a little more. So... That is why I thought this worked so well. So that will wrap up our coverage of this Tuesday in Texas, 1991. So time for our last word of business. I'm going to uh, pull up the randomizer and see what we're going to be watching next week and what we hope will be our last episode for a bit, just being the two of us. As I get this booted up, Angela, what are you looking for next week? I want to go full on Spike Jake. Let's get some CM Punk in here because I know if he misses CM Punk, he's going to be upset. Oh, I'm sure he would be. I'm sure that would absolutely ruin his goddamn life. Let me tell you. Let me make sure that there is. Yep. Yeah, he's missing some punk. All right. Oh, there we go. We're going to be watching WWE Survivor Series 2011, a match where, Ooh. yes, CM Punk wins the WWE Championship. So, <laughs> eat shit. Fuck you. Is this the start, is this the start of the big heel run? This, I think this was the start of, like, the 400-whatever-day title run. Yeah. Yeah, this is where it begins. He beats, if I remember correctly, I think this is the one. Uh, the Rock. Yeah, when he ended up losing, he lost to the, he lost the title to The Rock, correctly? Yeah. Yes. Yes. He so, lost the title to The Rock. He held the title for, you know, whatever, a billion a billion years. Um, yeah, he beats Del Rio here to win the title. Uh, yeah, and the main event is the Cena-Rock tag team. Oh, my Cena God. Versus, Cena and The Rock versus uh, R, uh, The Miz and R-Truth in the main events. Yeah. This, oh, man, I actually remember this show so fucking well. Yeah. Like, I, I actually remember all of this really fucking well. No wonder why they can't um, create stars. They like, dude, what would you do? 
I mean, I love The Miz and R-Truth. I truly do. But you're putting them in the main event over the world title in a non-title match. Dude, well, come on. It's The Rock. Come on. It's The Fucking Rock. What, what are you going to have The Rock not main event? Get the fuck out of here. Yes. So, yeah, that's that's the main event. Uh, the Rock and John Cena, the the uh, the dream team, taking on uh, Miz and Truth. And, you know, we have CM Punk versus Del Rio in a title match. We have Big Show versus Mark Henry in the other uh, world title match. Uh, so, yeah, next week, it is Survivor Series 2011 here on the Two and a Half Marks podcast. So, for uh, my good friend Angela and Lisa, my name is David Stappen. Thanks, everybody. For listening.